two, three. Welcome back, Holy Messes, to another episode of a Holy Mess podcast with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. It has been a couple of weeks. I was just in the Holy Land, Israel, Palestine, Jordan. It was the trip of a lifetime, truly a pilgrimage. You're going to hear all about it next week. I know a lot of people are like, your next episode is going to be about your trip, right? Your next, no, that's going to be next week. The episode that I have now, I, I recorded right before I went to the Holy Land. Cannot be more excited to share this with you. The episode is going to speak for itself. I'm not even going to tell you about it, but Father Matt Foley could not have been a nicer guy. Uh, even after the call, we spoke for about 30 minutes offline. What a great man. What a great priest. And this past Saturday, ironically, this past Saturday, I saw uh, another one of Chris Farley's best friends, David Spade, not personally, but I went to go see him perform stand-up in New York City at uh, the town hall. Uh, very funny, great guy. I wish I had the opportunity to meet meet him. I wish I had the opportunity to speak with him. Originally, what I wanted to do was I wanted to get, I wanted to do an entire episode. You're going to hear about this, but I wanted to get like all of Chris Farley's friends. Obviously, that's very difficult. Um, but honestly, just speak with Father Matt Foley was enough. Like very powerful. I would love one day to speak to uh, you know Mrs. Farley and his brothers and all that type of stuff. If that's God's will, that's great. But this episode. It, it speaks for itself. But David Spade, he's on tour right now. Very funny. Obviously a little dirty, but very, very funny. So, I mean, I could have opened for him. I think I was better than his uh, first person. But anyway, so, uh, all right, check it out. What's going on? Uh, I was just interviewed by somebody else from my Israel trip, so I'll share that. I'm actually fasting from social media right now. I'm doing a 33-day fast. I just got to go deeper. I got to go deeper, deeper, deeper in prayer uh, you know, I think that if we spent as much time praying as we do on social media, we'd all be saints. We, I, I certainly would. Uh, so just going deeper, need a little fasting. Uh, I'll talk about that another time. This week of saints, powerhouse. We had Padre Pio the other day. We got the guardian angels coming up. We got St. Teresa Lestu. We have St. Francis of Assisi. Check out this liturgical calendar, this calendar of saints in the Catholic Church. Pray to them, powerhouses, angel, archangel. Do you know? Do you know that you all have your own angel, your own own guardian angel? Did you know that? That God has assigned to you to protect you, to be your 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 guide and your protection. Check it out. So uh also the archangels, Gabriel, Michael, Raphael. They are there to help us, to protect us on our journey. If you're only listening to this podcast to hear about Chris Farley and you haven't fast-forwarded yet, you are loved. Do you understand? The Lord desires your salvation. You are loved, 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 and he assigned special messengers and guardians to protect you. Be not afraid. So I am doing stand-up myself tomorrow night, just about 10 to 12 minutes at an Elks Log. It's not a com uh, Catholic show. It'll be clean comedy. Uh, but I'm doing that tomorrow night. I always get nervous before I'm doing stand-up, uh, especially it's a non-Catholic crowd. So say some prayers for that. Also, uh, some people know that my father ended up in the hospital right before I went to the Holy Land. Uh, it was very scary. Right after the Bruce Springsteen concert, my dad's like, 
I, I, I haven't even spoken about this on the podcast yet. My dad was in the passenger seat. He says, Paul, tell that cop I need an ambulance. Something's wrong. And for my dad to say that, for my dad to say that, something must have been wrong because usually I have to scream at him to go to the doctor because he doesn't want to go. He's a little baby. But uh, thanks be to God, he's doing a lot better. Uh, he might have to have a stent put in. He's going for some stress tests next week. But keep my dad, Paul Hulis Sr., Paul Christopher Hulis Sr., in your prayers. Keep my dad in your prayers. And uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Share, download, share. Uh, if you want to donate, please check out the the links to the non-tax deductible gift right now because I'm not yet a nonprofit. But if you want to gift the podcast uh, that has gone to all the uh, equipment and the ongoing payments uh, for everything, that'd be great. So uh, without further ado, the Catholic faith of Chris Farley with the real Matt Foley. Peace. God bless. Welcome back, Holy Messes, to another episode of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul Hulis. Very, very, very excited about this episode. Uh, this episode has been in the talks, in the works uh, for a couple of months now, and I'm very grateful uh, to the guests who I have on now for his time. Uh, he's very, very busy. I'm very excited. I'm kind of geeking out a little bit. I'm geeking out a little bit because I'm sure that many, many, many of you who are watching and are listening to this have heard of the Matt Foley, the motivational speaker from Saturday Night Live, Chris Farley's epic masterpiece of a, of a skit on Saturday Night Live, living in a van down by the river. <clears throat> but today, I have the real Matt Foley. Yes, the real Matt Foley on this show, Chris Farley's good friend, who is now father, well, has been father Matt Foley, that of which Chris Farley uh, named the character after. So the real Matt Foley, father Matt Foley, welcome to a holy mess with his holy mess, Father Paul. Thanks for being here. God bless you, Father Paul. Thank you for the opportunity to preach and to teach and to learn from your wonderful, wonderful holy night. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Uh, I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie, Father, even though you've been very humble like, this whole time, the, the past couple of months, we've been going back and forth. And I, I was so touched when you had called me uh, once, called, called me back, and uh, my grandmother had just passed. And I, I, I told you I was on my way to, and you said, oh, what's her name? I'll say mass for her tomorrow morning. And that, that really blessed me. Thank you for that so much um, in, that, in that tough time. Uh, so look, obviously, people that, that listen to this, they watch this, um, even though this podcast in and of itself is not specifically a comedy podcast. A lot of people know that I love comedy, that I do stand-up comedy. Of course, you know, this podcast is also for, is primarily for evangelization and catechesis. I try to be funny here and there, but uh, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of Chris Farley, have always been, and... Uh, a couple years ago, uh, one night, I came across a documentary that I did not know existed called uh, I Am Chris Farley. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the name of it was. I Am Chris Farley. And all of a sudden, there was this priest, Father Matt Foley, being interviewed on that documentary. I had no idea. I guess I was just I, ignorant. I did not realize that Matt Foley was a real person. And not only that, I didn't realize that he was a Catholic priest. So I was like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. And I didn't know 
that Chris Farley was very religious, was was very devout. And then kind of right after that, a friend of mine, Mike Mangione, had you on his podcast. And I listened to your story there and I learned a lot more. So when I started to come up many years later with the idea of doing a podcast, I was like, I really want to talk to Father Matt Foley. So this is a big deal that you're here. It's a huge deal that you're here. <laughs> well, you honor me. You honor me. Well, thank you. Uh, look, uh, as we talked a little bit, you know, um, uh, before this episode, you have a story in and of itself, right? So I want to show you the proper respect. It's interesting because I was reading about you and I'm like, I, I, I need to do an entire episode about him. I can't just ask about the, the Catholic faith of Chris Farley. Initially, I was, you know, listening to uh, uh, Fly on the Wall, Dana Carvey and David Spade's weekly podcast. And on the 25th anniversary of Chris Farley's passing, they had these excellent um, episodes in remembrance of him. And several times they brought up uh, or different people brought up his Catholic faith. And I was inspired by that, which made me to, to reach out to you. But um, I want to know about the real Matt Foley. Yes, we will get into Chris, uh, but I, I want, you know, so Matt Foley Yes, that is a fictionalized character or whatever, but uh, who is the real Matt Foley? Uh, I mean, how long have you been a priest? Have you always thought about the priesthood? Uh, so I've been a priest for 34 years now, and uh, I was a public school educated kid, one of seven. I am nothing without my brothers and sisters, and of course, my wonderful parents that brought me into this world. There were seven of us in nine years. Uh, my parents had Catholic birth control. You can't get pregnant if you're pregnant, so <laughs> in nine years, I did pretty well. I remember when my mother brought home my littlest brother, Greg, and she was crying and she was saying to us all that she can't have any more children and, and this is the last child. And I thought, you know, mom, I think you're doing pretty well. But seven and back when I'm 60 years old, but back in that day, seven was kind of middle sized. There were a lot of people over the 10 and 12 numbers. And then there were people with like, two or three and you thought, boy, what happened to their family? And it's not a real Catholic family. Wow. Those were the deals. You know, we had big, big families. That being said, um, yeah, I went into, uh, I, I, I went into uh, college and uh, I played a lot of sports in high school. Uh, but as a sophomore, Marquette and uh, playing rugby and playing with Chris and having a great time. And um, then I, I felt really called by Christ um, as Paul would say, St. Paul would say, I did not choose God, God chose me. And I really thought that God was calling the wrong person. Uh, I was not probably the, the ordained at birth type individual. I had a serious girlfriend. Uh, my high school girlfriend was much more holier than I was and much more religious than I was. Uh, we went to church every Sunday. Uh, we prayed at meals every Sunday. We did those wonderful things as Catholics, but uh, my girlfriend practiced her faith much more diligently and much more devoted than I was. So I had a wonderful, wonderful model. And then somehow, by God's grace, I was called as a, to be a priest when I was uh, a sophomore in um, college at Marquette. And I left uh, Marquette and went into the seminary. Oh, you left Marquette? I did. I'd uh, never finished at Marquette. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. So when you, is it safe to say when you went to college, the priesthood wasn't even a thought in your mind? But your sophomore year, bam, God was calling you. Well, you know, I'm a legacy. So I have three great uncles that were priests. An uncle and a second cousin were priests. And I'm the third generation. 
So there's 331 consecutive years of priesthood in my family. And there's still left. My second cousin's still alive, Carl, and then me. And then there's five that were before me. So we've been in a long legacy of priesthood in our family. So it's been in our genes, but it's always, always been uh, an opportunity to investigate. Was it tough? I mean, only answer what you're comfortable with. Sometimes I like to ask questions of what I think what my listeners are thinking. But with your sophomore year, were you still in the middle of, of that relationship? Yeah, that was brutal. Uh, that was brutal. That's what uh, I was getting at. Yeah, it was very difficult. Uh, my, um, saying I was going to investigate the priesthood. Um, as I said, my, my she was not only just my girlfriend, but she was my best friend. We'd gone out for a long time. She was a homecoming queen in high school. I was a football captain. We dated, in fact, in our senior class of about 500 students. We voted the most popular couple. And um, wow. she was really, really a sweetheart. And um, I was never worthy to be her boyfriend, but um, she was very good to me and, and, and really a, a tender soul. So it was not just losing uh, my girlfriend, it was losing my best friend. And that was very difficult. Yeah, Father, I, I, I can't say that I went through the exact same thing because every single story is, is, is different. But there was uh, a woman that I was dating uh, right before, right before. As a matter of fact, I... Uh, I had signed up into the seminary and I went on the interviews to be, and I was accepted to go in, into the seminary. And I, I had honestly about six months before I could enter. And then all of a sudden I met the woman of my dreams. Mm -hmm. I met the woman of my dreams like right after I was accepted. And I thought at first, I'm like, oh, this is God's reward. Maybe he was just testing me. You know, maybe he just wanted to see if I would say yes. And I did. And it was, it was brutal brutal so i i can't imagine what you were going through because you were in the relationship for years and, and, and years so but uh but you discern that and you know so i won't i won't i won't be nosier you know on uh on how that was but i think we could all uh anyway so all right so uh so what what year did you end up getting ordained i got ordained in 89 oh, really yes wow and you bet you've had some interesting assignments. I mean, you've kind of been like all over the place. Do you mind speaking to that a little bit? Yeah. I, my first assignment was in North Lawndale, West Side of Chicago. I was in an all African-American community and it was just wonderful. I was, you know, your first assignment really raises you up and, you know, you, you're a, a baby priest and they just trained me how to be a, a, a person of faith. They trained me how to preach. They trained me how to listen. And, and, and to serve. And so I was so blessed for five years. And most importantly, trained us how to evangelize. Because, you know, in, in that day and age, if you weren't putting people in the pews, bringing people to Christ in the Eucharist, you weren't staying open. And so we were very, very vibrant. I did a lot of youth ministry. I worked a lot with the, uh, the gangs. We had the Blank Eggs, your disciples, and the conservative vice lords, and a bunch of different gangs. We did a lot of intervention with youth activities. So it was really a blessed time. And I was really ordained by God, but I was really uh, trained by the wonderful people on the west side of Chicago. Then after that, I spent six years in Mexico. Yeah, how'd that happen? Well, I always wanted to do mission work, and we had a mission. The Archdiocese of Chicago had a mission in Mexico, in the mountains of Guerrero. We had 26 uh, indigenous villages, over 240 square miles. So I always wanted to do mission work. So I went to Mexico as their pastor for the next six years, from 94 to 2000. That was my largest parish ever. Uh, we had probably about 25,000 parishioners 
And three quarters of our people never got the Eucharist. We know about three quarters of our, our parishes didn't have even roads to their, their villages, nor wanting water or electricity. By the time I left, a lot of that had developed, but it was very, very beautiful and very wonderful devotion uh, to the Blessed Mother, of course, Our Lady of Guadalupe, but just very wonderful situation of being one with the earth and one with these humble servants that I was called to uh, be their servant and pastor. And then I came back to the west side of Chicago, a place called uh, St. Agnes of Bohemia, and that was uh, just south of where it was uh, in North Lawndale. It's called South Lawndale, the little village. And I was passed for a place where when I left in 2008, now we had nine masses and about 6,100 Sunday worshipers, 800 baptisms a year, just a really, really vibrant Latino community, uh, mostly Hispanic, uh, Latino, Mexican, uh, parishioners, first generation. And then I went to the army for um, five years after that. My uncle uh, was an army chaplain in Vietnam. He did two tours. And my brother, Mike, is a retired colonel. So I went to the army, went to the 82nd Airborne, learned how to giant, bought a planes, went to special operations, 101st Airborne, did four deployments with special operations two times, and 82nd Airborne one time, and uh, 101st. So I spent about two and a half years in Afghanistan. And then they said, you got to get a real job. And I came back, and I went to the suburb of, uh, they sent me to Arlington Heights, and I pastored in a suburban um, community, which I grew up in. I didn't grow up in that community, but in a suburban uh, community of uh, European descent. And now I'm back on the south side of Chicago. Um, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful, wonderful blessing to be able to serve in all those different varieties of, uh, of service. I mean, I I, I want to take a nap just after hearing your resume. That I mean, that's amazing. That's exhausting. Not a nap because I'm bored. I'm a nap because like, that's a lot of stuff. You know, I, did you always did you have to learn Spanish before you went to the uh, the mission in Mexico, or did you already know it? Uh, I you know I did have to. Um, I didn't know it very well, and it was very painful uh, to learn Spanish as I was their pastor. But I picked it up fairly quickly. And it was baptism by fire. But, you know, it's so much. Then you really realize how important it is just showing up and being there for the people. And um, you, sometimes your language will lag, but your presence is more important. And, of course, Eucharist is the most important. So if you can bring that and open that up for them and open up the scriptures, that's doing a wonderful blessing for them. And did I hear you correctly? You said you had 25,000 parishioners. Yeah, I would say in those villages all together, it was about 25 parishioners, 25,000 parishioners. Were you all by yourself? No, I had another, we had uh, another priest there. Amazing. So, yeah. That's powerful. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my priesthood? Yeah. And is you in, in Afghanistan for two and a half years? What Around what year, around what, uh, when was this? What decade was this? I was there, uh, I went in 2009 to okay. 2010, then I went back in 2011. 2012 twice and then 2013 I came home. So I was there every I was there every year from 2009 until 2013. I, I don't even know what to, to say about that. Thank you. Thank you for your service. I was reading something that you were learning about. You were jumping out of airplanes or jumping okay. out of helicopters. Yeah, yeah, jumped out of everything. That's a great thing about the airborne. You know, it's it's uh, it's you get to jump out of things, especially in special operations. You got to learn how to jump out of Blackhawks and Chinooks and also small planes and also uh, then, of course, big air uh, drops would be with the 182nd. You did a lot of uh, air uh, jumps. I, what's next for you? I mean, is there anything that you haven't done that you want to do? 
oh, there's always something. God always something in plan for you. Right now, I'm just trying to bring people to Christ, be disciples, and make disciples here on the south side of Chicago. Amen. God bless you. So you you talked about uh, in 19, I don't know if you said, I think you said your sophomore year of college, which I believe I read was 1982. Is that when you met Chris Farley? Yes, yes. Chris uh, came out. I was the president of the rugby club, and Chris came out the first practice. And uh, I've told this story many times. He dressed up. He was very, he was in Argyle shorts, uh, a polo shirt with a collar turned up. That was the style then. And he was in actually Docksiders. Chris was a pretty preppy guy. And I thought this poor portly kid is going to have a difficult time of it. And of course, in a very short time, he won the hearts and minds. And of course, the com- comedy of, uh, of many of the, uh, many of the players on the rugby team. So you met him your sophomore year. Yes, sir. Were you, were you, were you guys, was he a freshman or were you guys class? He was just a freshman. He was just a freshman. And was he, I mean, this is years before he was on SNL. Was he just as funny years before than he was later on? You know, Chris was never a great writer of comedy, but he was a great physical comedian. And so, yes, he was. He was always, always, you know, doing a lot of the movies that you see, whether it be Tommy Boy, Black Sheep, or some of the skits on Saturday Night Live, those skits were always, you know, being performed way before he ever got uh, famous. You know, he was always doing something, falling down prop flats, uh, uh, prop flat, uh, falls and all those different things. Chris was great at that. Uh, were you guys roommates uh, at one point? We never roomed, uh, only on the road, you know, when we would go on rugby matches, we'd room, but no, I, uh, we never actually stayed in the same, uh, same, same building. Well, we did, but never a, a long-term relationship. Yeah. Now, did he, did I, uh, did I read, because I think I read something about yourself that before you went into the seminary, you were also going to parties and stuff. So did you party with Chris? Oh, all the time. Chris was, <laughs> Chris, yeah. We had, uh, we had a, a great tradition in rugby called uh, scrum half bowling. And Chris was not a scrum half. He was a prop because he was a bigger guy. But he wanted to be the scrum half. And we were down at, um, at a, a tournament one time. And Chris wanted to be the guy that you would toss uh, in your uh, – he you'd get down into your skivvies and you'd be tossed – across the floor on beer laden floor to knock down as many beer glasses as possible. And Chris was always in the midst of the party. Chris was entertainer. Number one, he would just, he just brought, he brought everybody's attention uh, to his great skill set. Did he have at that time that at that early time, still just a freshman in college, did he already know that he wanted to be an entertainer yet? Or was this just like something he was just funny. And then that came maybe later on. Yeah. So he, he, I think he enjoyed entertainment, but when he got into Marquette his later years, he did start doing some theater. So he did start to dabble in it. And then he got his job after he graduated from college with his dad selling in sales. He was not a bad salesman. His dad worked, owned a company called Scotch oil out in Madison, Wisconsin. And so he is very skilled at, at being a personable person uh, in terms of being uh, a good salesman. But he was also at that time doing uh, stand-up comedian work in Madison at some small places. He was doing stand-up. He was doing some stand-up, small scale in Madison. I did not. I did not know that. Now, when he went to to Marquette, um, I've I've heard that he is it true that 
he went to daily mass, not just weekly, but daily mass. No, he was a he was you know Chris would be like his mother Marianne Farley would describe him as like an old time Catholic, like a nineteen fifties Catholic. He was the type of guy that could walk in the church and tell you all the different saints. He knew all the different devotions. He was very, very, very devout in that way. And so, and very big on also going to confession. And we had this beautiful chapel that in the middle of Market Campus, which is in the middle of Milwaukee. It's an urban city uh, campus. And there's this beautiful chapel, the Joan of Arc Chapel. And Chris were there. They always had a daily mass at like 12 noon. And you could go in there and see Chris. And Chris would be in there and sometimes somewhat disheveled sometimes uh, because he didn't have sometimes the best hygiene uh, characteristics, that we, you know, that you would like to have. But he was he would sometimes be disheveled, but he was there at mass and he, he would never miss Sunday mass. Uh, and that never went away. When he died, there were probably about six priests on the altar. And it wasn't because he was famous. It was because. He knew them all personally, and he went to church at their at their places, and they knew him. Uh, and many of them had heard his confession, so he's very devout that way. I will certainly ask you about uh, his funeral, uh, but getting to the origins of of his Catholic faith, you know, because so so much, you know, when when Chris Farley's mentioned, yes, they talk about how much of a legend he is, how funny he is, but always, you know, then his addiction and his addiction. And I said, you know, I want to highlight his his Catholic faith. W where did he get that from? Was it from his parents? Where, how did he become such a devout Catholic? Yeah, both his mother and father were very devout. Of course, he went to Catholic grade school and then some Catholic high school. He was asked to leave one of his Catholic high schools for misbehavior, which is not... Uh, a big surprise. Chris could be a little bit over the top. So he um, he had developed that. His parent, his father went to Georgetown, and um, uh, Mr. Farley and Mrs. Farley were very devout. But he really worked at his own faith. He worked at it himself. It wasn't something that he took for granted. And I wish when I was his age, when I was in college, I wish I would have worked as hard as he did. And he also... He just didn't work at faith. He also volunteered quite a bit. He had a heart. So one of his favorite sayings is what his dad always say. When you, when you would drive through Marquette, you would see some homeless people. We'd see people down uh, in down on their uh, in their terms of uh, healthiness. And Chris would always say, my dad would always say, only by the grace of God go I. And Chris kept that humility. Even when he was at uh, Saturday Night Live, he was volunteering at places in New York City. And that's who he was. So it wasn't just prayer. It wasn't just the rosary and devotions. It wasn't just daily Eucharist, but it was also action and giving back. When you were discerning uh, back in 1982, 1983, of feeling called uh, to go into the seminary, and it was a brutal time, you were with your girlfriend. Did you have conversations with Chris about that, about, about you thinking about becoming a priest? Yeah, Chris was pretty good that way. Chris you know, thought it was the greatest thing. He just loved, and he loved priesthood and loved the church. So he was very excited about that. When I got ordained, he was there. When it was my first mass, he was there. In fact, being Chris, we Chris, we is. So they, the pastor, the you know, you celebrate your first mass, and it's I always refer to your first mass as your eunuch wedding. You know, it's like you're, you know, like oh, Father, you're so wonderful because you don't have a clue what you're doing, and everybody's fawning over you because you've just become ordained, and everything that's so great. And so we have this whole congregation and uh, the pastor said, and let us recognize, you know, 
you know, Father Matt Foley's first mass, everybody claps. And of course, Chris stands up and claps, you know, and, and then of course everybody else stops clapping. And then there's one guy left clapping and it's, you know, you know, going, going, drawing attention himself. And of course everybody looks and it's, it's obviously Chris Farley. And uh, it could but, only be Chris. Was he even in 1989, was that his first year on SNL or was that? He's just ready to go. He was, he was getting just... ready to go. You know, Chris Rock and, and, and uh, Chris Farley was just starting to get looked at, picked up by uh, Lauren Michaels with Saturday Night Live. So he was in the, the is it called the Growlings? He was in the Growlings for a couple of years, right? Uh, he, well, he was, it's, it's. Second it's, City, Second City. Second City. Second City is where he started. So he, he was there a few years and then he got picked up after, uh, but he was already starting to make a name for himself. And because uh, he went up the, he went up, there's steps at Second City and he went up that very quickly. He kept advancing because he had a charism. He would get on stage and people, as you watch on Saturday Night Live, people were drawn to his character, even if he was just a background character. That's just who he was. And does the story go that that you went one night right. and did he surprise you or did you know ahead of time that he was going to name that character, which didn't, I don't think, had a name, and all of a sudden it became Matt Foley? Right. So Bob Odenkirk of, of fame, you know, of uh, What About Sale, uh, wrote that character for Chris. And if you ever do any background checks on Bob Odenkirk, um, he, one of his favorite things was doing that skit with Chris at, at Second City. And so that character was based upon an old football coach that Chris had and his dad. His dad is this big, big voice like Chris had this big voice. And uh, his football player, his football coach would pull up his pants and do all that kind of that kind of movement. So Chris took those two characters. So I went, I was on the west side of Chicago at St. Agatha, North Lawndale. And I had, you know, I don't drink and I didn't drink. And um, so I could go out late at night and I would go see him at Second City. And uh, I would walk in there by myself, come see me. And I'd go out down there by myself at the, the, on Wall Street at Second City, walk into place and they're going to do this skit. And I didn't, I never see, they're always new skits. So Chris gets up and does a skit and he comes out of the basement and he says, my name is Matt Foley. And I'm kind of pinned up against the wall. Nobody knows I'm there. Nobody knows it's my name. You're by yourself. I'm by myself. Wow. I'm by myself in this crowd, which I did a lot. You know, that's what you do when you're a priest. A lot of times you spend by yourself. And so uh, I start to slink down in my chair. You know, I go, oh, my God. And he says, my name's Matt Foley. Then we go out afterwards. Chris was drinking at the time. So we go out afterwards with all the cast members. And it's probably about 1, 2 in the morning. And we're still hanging out. And I'll give Chris a ride home. He said, I, I'm never going to change that name. It's always going to be Matt Foley. And so he never changed that name. And then he, he said, you know, when he brought this Saturday Night Live, um, he brought that character saying, he called me up and said, it's going to be on. You got to watch it. And sure enough, it was history since then. What was that like for you? I mean, we know what it was like for Chris, I think. But what was that like for you? Well, for me, it was just, you know, it was just frosting on the cake. You know, to be quite frank, I, I was then, I went to Mexico and Chris became famous. I left to Mexico in 94. I went out and saw Chris, you know, as much as I could in, at, at Santa Ana Live. That character, you know, like Lauren Michael said, thanks for letting us use your name and things like that. But other than that, that was about it. Other than when I started to recognize for me when I came back from Mexico, well, Mexico is very rural. When I came back from Mexico, 
you know, I would say, you know, my name's Matt Foley. And people said, shut up, you know, shut up. Your name's not Matt Foley. Said, yeah, it's just Matt Foley. Or else when I would call Chris I, at the hotels that he was staying at or other places, I'd say, you know, who's calling? I'd say, Matt Foley. And they'd hang up. It's like, sure, nice try. And so I would have to say, you know, it's Father Matt Foley. And so I started to recognize it was getting some airplay. And so I was humbled and blessed by it. And I've been riding those coattails ever since. I can't. I can't stop grinning. This is like, this is I the icing. I, I well, not just icing on the cake. This is this is huge for me. Uh, so, the, but that's just so interesting. Just as he's starting to blow up and get famous in that character, because I don't think he did that character till '93. That's interesting. You went to Mexico, and I don't even know was SNL even in Mexico at the time. No, no, yeah. and nobody knew who Chris was. I mean, we didn't. We didn't have a clue. Yeah. Wow, but you went to visit him at SNL a few times. Oh yeah, every year at least once or twice. Yeah, and then he would come back to Chicago, you know, in the off season, and we'd see each other. And I would always see his mother and father because I know his whole family, so you know we were friends. And I, I was just with his mother and father. Uh, I was with his father's buried right next to Chris, but I was with his mother and his brother uh, Tom and Marianne. I was just uh, three weeks ago. Up in Madison, I went and saw him. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I saw on your Facebook page, I, I mean, you, you were with them for around his 25th uh, yes. last year. I went up there and celebrated Mass in their house. Yeah. And you, you are you, you are the priest. I know, I know we still have ground to cover, but you, you are the priest that celebrated. You were the main celebrant of his funeral Mass. Yeah. I was in Mexico when he died. In fact, I was out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, I didn't find out. I was out in a village called Pueblo Viejo the night he died. Um, and I didn't. And then I went to a place called Santa Cruz and there was no road or communication. And we got back to our truck at another village and there was a note saying, you got to come home. Um, and it was very sad because so they didn't say we had our team. We have a team of about three missionaries. So we had to come home and it just said, you have to come home. And then I got home to it, which is our, our town of Quechotenango. And then that's when I found out that Chris had died. Um, and so Mrs. Farley had already uh, got on the phone with her and my sister had already bought my ticket home uh, to go home and celebrate his mass right before Christmas on 1997. During the years when he was um, on Saturday Night Live, and I, I do understand that he was and I don't think a lot of people know this all, all the time. They just hear about his addiction. But for about three years, he was completely sober, correct? He was. In fact, it, you know, one of the blessings was in our relationship, why I was able to get closer to him was that I did not drink. I didn't partake in anything. So that was always a good, a good stabilizing force for him because he oh. would not be triggered to want to drink or to do any, any, any type of, uh, you know, drugs. So, uh, on his one-year anniversary, I flew out there just for that, and he went up and gave his talk and got his one-year coin, and uh, I was very proud of him. Uh, he was very transparent, uh, very vulnerable, and uh, he really worked the program well, and he was a good sponsor for people. Uh, he sponsored people? Oh, I think he did, yeah. Yeah, he was helpful, and he worked the program. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. I'm I'm in, I'm in recovery myself. I, I sponsor uh, a couple people. Uh, it's uh, addictions in my family. I, I think I might have told you this um, that my my brother passed. My my only sibling he passed away from addiction. 
at a very young age, the age of 32, um, about six years, six years ago now, on the 100th anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima, uh, my brother, my brother passed and uh, nothing, nothing has ever been more tragic or traumatic um, in, in my life. So, um, yeah, I mean, and you were very close. It's not like you were just kind of knew him from college. You were very close with him. I mean, throughout those years, so to the people that are listening that are like, okay, you all right, well, you're saying that Chris Farley was very devout, right? Or if people ask about my brother or something like that, like some people might want to say, well, well, how so if, if they were addicted and if they were, you know, doing things that were immoral, you know, how could you, you know, have hope for them? Or how could you also talk about their faith? Is there anything that, that, you know, I don't want to speak for you. I know my own thoughts on that or what I would say if somebody asked me that, but, you know, because with, with Chris Farley's, right. A lot of these documentaries, they, they focus on the, the, the negative stuff or whatever. Um, what would you say to someone that asked something like that? Well, in terms of the documentaries and things like that, sin sells, you know, salvation is not real popular, but sin sells. So it's always fun to look upon uh, our foibles and our losses. You know, Chris, always knew when he would always say that that the alcohol and drugs were his de- were, were a demon and, and he would always call it referred to as a, the devil and uh it was very tempting for him uh, and what he did well was that he he fought those demons by staying close to jesus and the other thing that we always have to remember is that there's always redemption uh, and so that's why he believed in the power of reconciliation uh, the ability to fall, but to get back up by God's grace and God's mercy. And so he understood that. Well, he loved a lot of the saints' stories. You know, uh, he took pleasure in knowing St. Augustine and Saint and Loyola, uh, two individuals that, that had their own battles and their own struggles. So I think he completely understood his humanity, uh, but we also uh, understand God's grace. And so in the midst of his battle, he was always close to Jesus. And I was glad for that. I mean, he would get up, he would, you know, when he would fall and he fell off, obviously he, he, he would backslide, as we say in, in recovery, he would have some difficult times. He, uh, he would, he would, uh, he would return to God and return to, to, to sobriety. He fought the good fight. Uh, sometimes as hard as you fight, you still, you, you may not win by human terms, but he won hopefully by God's grace and God's forgiveness. I I heard that even in the midst of it all, even if he was up all night at a club or something like that, one of the things that I think it might have been David Spade that said this, like next morning, you know, he might have been up all night, but he was going to, he was going to church on Sunday, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. So they have that uh, that Adam Sandler song: "You drink a quart of vodka and then wake up and go to Catholic mass." And, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I don't know how he did it, um, but when I would go stay with him. Uh, we would go, he would say, okay, these are all the mass times. This is when we're going to go to mass, even though he had to work the show and the show would be late and stuff like that. And he wasn't losing, using a lot of times then. So uh, he would, everything was built around when we're going to mass. And then of course, he'd always want to go to confession. And, uh, you know, he'd always, of course, Chris, he was not always the most uh, efficient person with time. You know, there was times when I'd be in Chicago and I'd be celebrating mass and like five minutes before mass starts, he goes, you got to hear, you got to hear my confession. You know, it's like, okay, mystery inconvenient, but you know, I would hear his, I would hear his confession and, and then he could, you know, he felt 
in the state of grace going over to communion. But uh, yeah, that was always very key for him. He always made time. Mass schedule was always important for him. Yeah, I think David Spade even said something like, even if they were like on a set, like remote location, or so, I, I don't want to misquote him, but something about like, somehow he would get somebody to bring him the Eucharist or, or, or a Eucharistic minister would come to the set or it, I was like, wow, like that, that, that was so encouraging to hear. Yeah. He made every effort to receive the body of Christ. Yeah. Was it uh, tough uh, father Foley to be, uh, cause I find this sometimes with like, like my really good friends, like they, they know knew me way before I was a priest, but I'm a priest. And so sometimes they're like, Hey, you know, can I go to confession? And it's like, well, yeah, you can, but like, you're my buddy. Like, I, I don't, is that like, is that like a tough thing? Like, uh, and I don't, I don't deny it or whatever, but sometimes I'm just like, go to another priest. Was that ever a rough thing? Well, I, I always, my, my associates would always say that, um, I always would joke with them. I said, will you hear my confession? And they would say no. And, and then I would always, you know, talk to my, uh, our, some of our older priests and said, he won't hear my confession. What do you think about that? And said, they said, I think that's wise. <laughs> Because some people, you shouldn't hear their confessions because they may not be as challenging as you want them to be. But um, yeah. I, you know, I never denied confession, you know, obviously. Uh, no, no, not deny it. But I heard um, a really cute story. Uh, I think you told this story on Mike Mangione's podcast several years ago about uh, did you bless his apartment? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can you like how he was. Do you mind? Uh, yeah. Talk about that. So, you know, he was not, he didn't live in an ostentatious apartment or anything like in New York. And of course it's very expensive. So you would walk in his apartment and, and it was very close to the rehab place and where he would go to his meetings. So it was conveniently located, but you'd walk in and on, on the, as you walked in the door, there was a, like a, uh, almost like a, a balcony and that's where his bed was located. And then, you came downstairs and then there was a kitchen, a small kitchen and like a, a dining area and then uh, a couch area for watching TV. So there's one ba bathroom downstairs. So it wasn't huge by any stretch of the imagination, probably big for New York, but not big for for anywhere else. But he was on the phone. So you would, I would sleep downstairs on the futon and Chris would sleep upstairs in his quasi bedroom upstairs. And it was all wide open. So he would be on the phone with his dad. He talked to his dad on the phone almost every single day. And uh, very, very close. And I could hear him up there talking, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Father Matt's here. And, and then his dad was saying, yeah, we should have a blessed apartment because they thought it might have been an old converted hospital and somebody may have died in that room. So Chris was convinced that well, if somebody died there, you're going to have it blessed. So he comes down the stairs and says, hey, my dad, was, uh, my dad says we should get the place blessed. So... You know, I'm in my boxers. Chris is in his boxers. <laughs> you know, like you know, crawling out of bed. And, and he says, okay, okay. Let's, so, so I go to the kitchen. There's no holy water. So I make my own holy water. And I turn around. And Chris is like this, like a cherub, you know, like a holy angel, all ready for this blessing. And I said, you know, Chris, I got to put my pants on for this one. So <laughs> I go over there and put my pants on. <laughs> and I do a blessing of the uh, of the and I go around and I'm sprinkling the water and here is this little holy cherub Chris Farley walking behind me doing Hail Marys and Our Fathers and making sure I, I blessed every part of the building you know and that's where he was uh, he was just very very devout and very much into it and so we, that was his that was his deal 
the other thing about Chris, I'll tell you, well, he 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 was a, a little superstitious sometimes. So he was that was part of the feat of uh, of making sure that everything was in a state of grace. So I'll I'll leave it there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey. Um. I. So. Father, I, you find out that one of your best buddies passes away and he's famous. I mean, he's one of the most famous people in the world at the time. And you're doing the funeral. You're, you're giving the homily. I mean, what do you say at something like that? How'd you prepare for that? What was that like? How'd you comfort his family? I mean, his family must have been devastated. I mean, what, what was this like for you, Father? How, how did it all ha- work? Well, it was, you know, so... I mean, you know that some of the most famous people in the world are going to be at your mat. That that yeah. mat. I didn't focus too much in that. So to the back. So Chris was starting to use again, and I could tell. But Chris wouldn't use around me ever. So we had seen each other. I was in. I was back in Chicago uh, doing some mission visits, and we got together for the day. And um, we were supposed to spend some time at night, but I know Chris was using, so he would never use around me, but I could tell that he was edgy and that he was trying to get away. And so we didn't see each other that night. So I was a little disappointed in him, but I, I didn't I didn't challenge him that time because he just he wasn't in the right state of mind to be challenged. So Mrs. Farley, I said to Mrs. Farley, who I talked with frequently, I said, you know, I'm a little disappointed with Chris. She said, don't give up on him. So when I went back to Mexico, I was I, we had a, a, a road running route that I would use all the time. There was not too many bridges down there, but there was a stream I ran across, and there was a just really simple bridge. And I always remembered when I run, I'd run out, you know, like about six. It was a six to eight mile run usually to, every day. I'd run out, and on the way out, I'd kind of cleanse my heart. And the way back, I would have certain things that I'd pray for. And Chris, this bridge was Chris's bridge. Remember to pray for him to not give up on him because his mother said, don't give up. God doesn't give up on you. Don't give up on Chris. And I kept it to my soul. So I would pray with him and pray for him very rigorously every day for his sobriety and for his health. And when he died, I was very hurt and, and, and disappointed in God that God didn't, you know, give him uh, the ability to live. And then he, and then he, and he died. So when I came back all the way from Mexico and flew in, to cold in uh, Wisconsin uh, from the mountains of Mexico. Uh, I told Mrs. Farley, I said, I really was disappointed in God. And she said to me, she said, I, I, I'm not sure that Chris was ever going to get any better, which is very painful. She's, you know, a mother of five children has just lost her son. But to admit that sometimes addictions are just so very painful, and very difficult. And um, I remember there's a line that we all encounter, you know, um, that sometimes you love completely without completely understanding. Uh, you love completely without completely understanding. So God's ways are not our ways. And uh, burying him was very difficult. But for me, it wasn't about Chris saying that live. It wasn't Chris about Tommy Boy. It was about Chris, uh, the, the son uh, of Mr. and Mrs. Farley that brought this child into this world and lost their child. And I really focused on that. And, uh, only by the grace of God go I. And he recognized that. He was humble in his gifts. And um, and he used his gifts to make people laugh. And God knows we need to laugh more and more. So I really preached to the family in the sense of their loss. And uh, 
like I said, you know, sin sells so much better than faith. But uh, he was a faithful person. And he always believed in purgatory. So we're always praying and loving those people out of purgatory, the, the heavenly gates. And that's Chris. Father, this is the second time now that I could really I, I identify with you. Uh, you know, when my brother passed, I was I was so upset and disappointed with God. I was praying for him. I mean, I, I thought for sure, I thought for sure that God gave me a sign that he was going to get better. And a matter of fact, I had went to Fatima in October of 2016. I said mass on the, at the Chapel of Apparitions in Fatima on October 13th, the anniversary of the miracle of the sun. I offered the mass for my brother. My mother was there. I, I did that whole thing on my knees for my, and, then, and a couple months later on, on the feast of our lady of Guadalupe, he enters this like Catholic rehab type place. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like Mary's got him. He's going to be saved. And then five months later, he dies on the 100th anniversary of our lady of Fatima. And so when you said the words like that, you were disappointed, I, I, that's exactly how I felt, but then, and then, you, but then you, you just said purgatory, and I said, you know what? I said I don't know if my brother's in heaven at this second right now or not, but uh, if he, if he if he's in, even if he's in purgatory, we just pray, we just pray, and I did have to celebrate the mass. Oh, I did celebrate the mass for my brother. I didn't preach, but I I, I was the main celebrant, and you know, lifting up the host at the sacrifice of the mass, and somebody is their particular intention just what the redemption of the sacrifice of the mass does. And then all the masses that were said for my brother over the years, you know, so many cards, so many people mass offer. I mean, I'm like, eventually I was like, you know what? I, I really think my brother's in heaven with, with God. God's grace is enough. Yes. My brother, he passed in his in addiction and not in the best of circumstances, but that God's grace is bigger than that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? He's bigger than that. And and I believe, you know, and in the same situation of what you're just talking about with the, you know, the death of Chris too, because also addiction, it's truly such a disease. It's a real sickness, you know, and, and, and God's mercy is just, is just b bigger, better. I, I, I don't know who came up with this story. I, I don't think it's not, nobody came up with it, but a Bishop in Ireland told me some story about some woman that, committed suicide, jumped off a bridge, and the family member was very, very upset and said something to some a priest or a bishop, and they said, well, just remember, between the bridge and the water, there was God. Between the bridge and the water, there was God, you know? Mm -hmm. And God is, exists outside of time, too. <laughs> so, you know, even if somebody died 25 years ago, you know, we, we could continue to pray for their souls. So, oh, yeah. <sighs> Well, I, I know I don't know you personally, but I, I just, you know, and I, I certainly don't know Chris Farley, but I, when I first watched I Am Chris Farley, mm -hmm. I cried. I cried at the end of that. I just cried and I and I cried and I, I, I felt so bad for him. It, it, it really humanized him. And I can't tell you how grateful. I mean, I'm so sorry for your loss, uh, the loss of your good friend and for you to, to be there for his parents and that you still are there yeah. for his family. And thanks for saying that, that sin sells, you know, virtue doesn't sell. Our faith doesn't sell sin sells. And so, you know, yeah, 
we're not getting the full picture there. And no. that was one of the most beautiful things I, I loved about uh, I am Chris Farley and about the uh, Dana Carving David Spade's uh, episodes about, about him, just learning more and more about his life. So um, I wrote down a couple questions. We did talk a lot, and I want to be respectful of your time. I'm just looking at my list to see if there's any, like, must that I must say. Um, but I think I co we covered <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of ground. I mean, I would love, honestly, you, you, you did talk about your assignments and I'm not just saying this, like, I would love to have you come back again, again, to just to talk about maybe more details of your, of your priesthood and, and, and all that stuff. So, sure. um, you're always welcome back here, Father Foley. Well, I'd, I'd love to be back on, and, uh, maybe I'll have another, uh, uh, another story to tell about Chris too. There's plenty of them. We, we used to call them the Farley tales because there's a lot of tales about Chris. And it's always fascinating when you listen to people talk about Chris. Uh, Chris was never a ladies' man. He was never. He was always. A, uh, his comedy was sometimes physical, and sometimes he had a tendency to uh, not be afraid of uh, disrobing a certain amount, like you see him when he does Patrick Swayze. So that was not always his most attractive uh, uh, part of his life in terms of women, but he had a tenderness that. Uh, the women could see and there's a tenderness in his heart that they could see that was very attractive but uh he was not a ladies man by any stretch of the imagination people say he was like the sweetest guy ever he was very sweet but you know like all of us he had his bad days he had some bad days you know it was he had some bad days i saw him you know in some bad places and so you know we we have those moments too all of us and so, yeah, but he was very sweet. He was very genuine and he was very Midwest. And he was, he was raised uh, by his mother and father to walk humbly with his God. And he knew how to do that. And recovery people do, you know, they really know how vulnerable their life is and how blessed their days are. So Chris understood that very well. Did he ever struggle with like, if a skit or maybe a movie or a scene in a movie was like, maybe a little risque, like, did that ever, like, did he ever, like, come to you, like, I don't, I know I'm Catholic, but I'm going to do this one thing, like, was there any of that, because that's going to be rough in show business. Oh, yeah, he would struggle, that's... he would struggle with that, even with, you know, and he have those conversations with his father, you know, oh, okay. was, those were, yeah, he's definitely struggled with the, the morality of it, mm. even though, you know, he had, you know, his failures also in terms yeah. of chastity and things like that, but he, he did, he was very aware of that and he didn't want to, uh, you know, to, to be inappropriate. And uh, do you guys, your college buddy, do you still keep in touch with the, the rest of those buddies and everything like that? In fact, you know, uh, Kevin Farley, you know, Chris's younger brother, Johnny, uh, both are in the business. Kevin does stand up uh, comedy and he's coming up to a place just over the border called Kenosha. So a whole group of us are going, we got a table already. We're going to go see him do his uh, comedy, stand-up comedy. So we all we all hang out together. Rugby team, team still hangs out together. Uh, on his 20th anniversary, we had a mass at one of my buddies' houses. You know, about 40 of us, 50 of us to get together and remembered Chris. So on um, the 25th, we kept it really, really small. It was just me, Mrs. Farley, and the family. So that was beautiful. Well, hey, prayers for them, prayers for you. Uh, 
thank you so much for doing this. Um, Great. Well, have me back on one day. I'd be happy to, to come in and share. Can I, can I ask you one last question about you, not about Chris? Sure. And I, and I mean this. I honestly can cut it easily. This is not live. I can cut it because it, it may not – it may be a little too personal. But you know how you were saying that your girlfriend, she was like more devoted than you and she was, you know, an inspiration for your faith and stuff like that? Right. Hello? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, yeah. So was she – when you d- discerned – were, were told her do you think like was she because she was such a faithful catholic was she supportive of of you maybe being going into the priesthood you know she was a lot stronger than i was which is not surprising but she basically we were you know it like you know i went away and you just felt it was the right thing to do in about six seven months we really missed each other so we started seeing each other again and um she, you know, she just said, you know, can you tell me you're going to be a priest or not? And I didn't know. I mean, I was 23, right? And so um, she uh, moved away. And uh, she, she was much stronger than I was. And she went away and became a nurse and got married. And uh, I ended up doing her, you know, her father's funeral. And I'm sure I'll do her mother's funeral. And, um, and we, we, you know, peripherally we'll stay in, in touch. But for the most part, uh, she was much stronger than I was, uh, yeah. and, and I'm grateful for that. Is that is that okay to keep in here? Because I could edit that sure. out. Sure, sure. God, yes. Yeah. Okay. Hey, hey. I saw. It. So listen, I'll officially end this, and then we can say goodbye to each other offline. Okay, so great. Thanks for being here, Father Foley, and I look forward to your return to a, a part two. Well, thank you so much, Father Paul. Thank you for joining me for another episode of A Holy Mess Podcast. Please see the show notes in the description for this episode for more details and information about the topic and or the guest. You will find links and resources there to supplement this episode and help you along your messy but holy journey. Please also like, comment, subscribe, download, rate, review, and share all episodes. I want to thank Mike Mangione for providing me with the podcast theme song, Can You Love Me Falling, from his album, Red-Winged Blackbird Man. Finally, please note that while me, I, whatever the grammar is, Father Paul Hulis, while I am a priest for the Archdiocese of Newark, a holy mess with his holy mess podcast is not affiliated with the Archdiocese of Newark in any way, including fundraising efforts. This podcast is purely the personal hobby, product, and evangelization effort of Father Paul Hulis. Please join us again next time for another holy mess of an episode. Peace! Yeah!